0: the way that yoga in in our world is so linked with the image of a thin white woman wearing yoga pants and a little bra top and that's really hard because I happen to be a thin white woman (laughs) welcome to the journey into podcast a series of inspiring stories from the yoga community episode six holding space I grew up in California and Idaho, so in two different states. My first passion was tap dance. That was the class that I went to from a very small age. I guess I started when I was around five. Yeah, I was not allowed to wear the tap shoes in the house. I remember tapping on the tiles in the hallway and being seriously in trouble for that. And ultimately my mom got a piece of wood, like a thin piece of would, and it would be in the garage, and I would have to go into the garage (laughs) to practice my tapping, and I was always doing these dances that had me in the weirdest costumes. (laughs) One in particular, we did a tap dance to the song from Aladdin with the genie. It's real jazzy, you know, you ain't never had a friend like me. Synthetic fabric, see-through, belly-showing, sequined, like, I dream of genie kind of hairstyle. I, I imagined that somehow I would live in a fantasy world where there was choreography and everybody's outfits matched. That's kind of, I think, what my five-year-old self <laughs> had as an idea. In high school, very much a loner. And for the last year of high school, I had gathered enough credits that I could have graduated early. And my school moved to this block system where you had certain classes for longer periods of time, like two or three times a week instead of every day. And when they did that, it allowed me to leave school on Tuesdays and Thursdays and go over to the actual university in the city I was growing up in, in Boise. I would go over to Boise State University and take ballet and like acting 101 so as as soon as I was able, I was really of the mindset of getting out of high school. I didn't feel like I ever fit in there. <laughs> my family was really afraid for me. I, hear, I heard a lot that, you know, it's really hard to make it in the industry. And my family was from L.A., so of course their idea of the industry was Hollywood and films and television. And I don't have, like, a, a standard beauty queen face. And I got a lot of pushback from people around me when I was growing up that it wasn't possible for me to live the life of a movie star. Not so much my parents, but my grandparents. And my grandparents gifted me my tuition for university. And I remember sitting down with them. I I can't remember if it was just before I started or if it was maybe like one. We didn't have semesters. We had quarters. Um, it might have been one quarter after I had begun that we sat down and they they basically said, if you don't change your major from Dramatic Arts to, I don't know, something else. what I, I don't even know what they even imagined I would do. Um, they were not specific, but they didn't want me to have my major as Dramatic Arts. And they threatened to pull their support and not pay for my tuition. And I... I countered and I said, then I'll just drop out and move to New York and start auditioning. (laughs) And that terrified them. You know, I was, I think, 18 at the time, and that totally terrified them. And then they said, okay, you can, you can keep the dramatic arts as your, as your major. I have never thought of my career as something that I've planned. I think there are different types of people and some people really can focus. And pursue one goal with all of their power and I started after during college I started to get really distracted by lots of things that caught my interest and I never felt that kind of one-pointedness that that I have associated with people who say my career is this I was kind of following what felt right to me. I started studying a lot of different things and that's when I got basically onto the path that led me to become a yoga teacher. I first encountered yoga at the YMCA in Boise, Idaho when I was 17 I think because I, I at 17 I got involved in aerobics. I thought about becoming an aerobics instructor because I really liked this lady that was the aerobics instructor and I would go sometimes in the morning before my classes and do these like dancer-size type classes early in the morning and then they had yoga so I tested that out one time I didn't really like it it was in a basement room and it was a bunch of older people you know and I was 16 or 17 I think and it it didn't really resonate with me at that time I think the first class that really affected me in the way that I wanted to continue, and it really woke something up in me, was in Santa Barbara, where I went to university. And it was at the Santa Barbara Yoga Center in, I would say, probably 1999, I think. Yeah, I think it was my sophomore year of university. And I went with a friend of mine who was also a dancer and it was an Iyengar class. And there was something about the place, the way that the poses were taught, and the space and the time to just feel my body with no expectation of performing it. And right now, I think what I'm specializing in is linked to Iyengar, strangely enough, but it's restorative yoga where we do hold the poses for a really long time in a passive way to release tension from the body as opposed to stretching the body. I did my first teacher training after university a few years after in 2004 in Santa Monica, California with Anna Forrest. And that was an amazingly intense experience. I started teaching straight away. Yeah, I was actually co-teaching with someone um, some workshop material, some women's work combining yoga with dance before I did my teacher training. So it was a lot of women who maybe had body image issues or um, different blocks in expressing themselves sexually. And I was studying tantra and a few other different things at the time. So it was really women's work. At the same time, I was acting in plays, small theatre productions in Santa Barbara, or directing, or assistant directing, and then I was waiting tables throughout that to pay rent, and I did a lot of going to the beach and going to parties. That was my full-time job for a while. (laughs) If you're enjoying the Journey Into podcast... Don't forget to subscribe to receive new episodes. And if you're really enjoying our series, we'd love it if you could leave us a review on the Apple Podcast app or Spotify. The system of yoga as it has been brought to the United States has been primarily brought by men. And the practice of yoga, the physical asana, the postures that we use in the West are also postures that were created for men, specifically created for young men who were wanting to go into like a monastery, or a lot of poses were created for the Indian army. But if we just look at the physical postures that are primarily in the West being practiced by women, I think there's a big problem there because most women don't have a narrow pelvis. And a lot of the postures, if they're practiced the way that they were created as a standard where the pelvis was quite narrow, there can be a lot of damage done to the skeletal structure when people are not practicing with awareness of the needs of a wider pelvis. Not to mention the menstrual cycle, our hormonal shifts, menopause. There are a lot of issues. And so for me, I'm very passionate about getting away from the the way that yoga in in our world is so linked with the image of a thin white woman wearing yoga pants and a little bra top. And that's really hard because I happen to be a thin white woman. <laughs> I I have to deal with the reaction that that causes, so I'm I'm working more in terms of the way I think about my social media I'm trying not to picture to put pictures of myself doing poses other than like restorative poses and poses that are not about highlighting the objectification of my female form the connection between feminism and yoga for me is that when I practice yoga simply as a physical practice I don't get any of the real life-changing benefits And the life-changing benefits of having a yoga practice have to do with increasing my compassion and empathy. They have to do with me being able to be comfortable with the whole rainbow of emotions that I experience as a human being. And that means that I need to be able to listen to someone that I disagree with. I need to be able to engage as non-violently, as peacefully as possible with different types of people from different backgrounds. All of that leads me to the center of it being that I need to get more and more comfortable with who I am. And I am here in this package in this lifetime. You know, I'm white, I'm a woman, I'm Jewish I'm I'm all of these things that people could see on the outside or that I can write down to identify myself those are just the the ego the outside but part of the work that I think is important right now for all of us that are involved in the yoga industry is to make sure that whether it's about a post on Instagram or whether it's the way we teach a class or the content of the book we write or the title of a workshop or the way we speak to a student, that all of that is with as much awareness as possible because yoga is about increasing our awareness. I'm trying to stay in touch with what is my capacity and to honor that. So there are times where it's like, okay, I I can allow myself X amount of news or social media and then I draw a boundary. I was approached by a publisher from Singing Dragon, and it, it was never an idea of mine that I would write a book. And once I agreed to do it, then I realized what an enormous project it was and how, how much work it was gonna be. And it was a huge project for me, definitely a challenging project. It started because I was teaching a workshop for teachers in London on using voice and performance skills. So because I had this background of being on stage and working with actors, I had a lot of tools that when I started to teach, just were naturally being used. A lot of new teachers specifically, and also other teachers because I really enjoy going to yoga classes whenever possible and just seeing how other people are teaching. And I encountered a lot of teachers who were not able to hold the space and maybe they had a really great depth of understanding of the material, but it didn't come across. So I started to teach basically theater for yoga teachers in a way with the focus on improving their teaching skills. And it was really fun. And I felt for the first time that these two parts of myself, the two things that I had studied the most, devoted most of my life and energy to, had a lot of passion for, these two parts were finally integrating. And instead of doing this kind of dance between performing arts and healing arts, I was really bringing them together. I find when I'm teaching and there are a lot of women in the group, it'll be amazing. So many women will raise their hands to ask a question and the whole question has a preamble of an apology. There are so many things that, that yes, women are culturally predisposed towards taking up less space, and speaking in front of the public is, I think, In general people's number one fear so this is applicable to anybody and there are so many reasons why when we encounter something that makes us nervous and then we do need to speak there's so many reasons why you might lose your voice and there are so many things that you can do and tools that you can practice as preventative measures to help yourself through those moments most of us can fall into that yoga teacher voice trap. And one is that, like most, most cliches and stereotypes have some grain of truth behind them. And our nervous systems react to a certain tone of voice. And if you slow down the way you speak, it communicates something emotionally. So a lot of people are starting with what might be a natural tendency in how do I get this group of people to, for instance, calm down and come into a quieter way of being. So that's maybe a tendency that that has some roots in authenticity that might be your reaction when you want to speak to somebody and you want them to calm down. And the trap is when you get stuck there and there's no realness coming through. And a lot of that is because we can be afraid to share ourselves. I've read that the yoga industry itself is really, really big in terms of dollars or British pounds or euros, whatever currency, like that, the currency that's being generated by the industry is really high most yoga teachers don't earn very much money. Most yoga teachers have other jobs also. So what I hope is that this book will give people some empowerment to show up for themselves, to recognize the work of yoga teaching as a profession, to raise the standards for our profession so that we can be paid like professionals instead of paid like someone who's you know gigging and just showing up to do some random job and that there can be ideally at some point a shift in the industry away from this idea that yoga is only for that image that we talked about earlier that this can be about real people gaining tools to deal with the challenges of life in a healthier way. Thank you for listening to the Journey Into podcast. For more content from today's teacher, follow us on Instagram at journey.into or visit our website at journeyinto.com.